0: the stops. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is feeling and sending the love about that for a second. I'm Scott Phillips. With me, as always, Dr. Anirban Mahati. G'day, Doc. How are you? Very good, man. How are you? Happy Valentine's Day, buddy. Happy Valentine's Day to you, too. We're we're feeling the love. We're sending the love. We're all about the love, mate. We are
1: too much about love. (laughs) Too much? Too much. The only thing thing is the earnings season might not be giving us love.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, look, maybe maybe this is the beginning of of better times. Maybe that's what it is.
1: Yeah, maybe the love starts now. (laughs)
0: Speaking of selling now, that's a nice segue, buddy. This week we are going to talk about, we're going to talk about coronavirus again, still. We know it's boring, we get it, uh, but it's in the news, it impacts shares and the markets potentially. So we're going to talk on that very, very briefly. And we're going to talk about, as you've already mentioned, mate, earnings season. Some of the big guys were out this week, CBA and Telstra among them. Also, Blackmores. Plus, we've got a couple of little tech companies that you quite like who released earnings this week. And we thought we might talk about because we figure our listeners want to hear not only about the big guys, but also about some cool little stuff that's going on around the ASX. And not so little anymore, actually, as it turns out, as you reminded me before we recorded. We'll also touch on the TPG Vodafone merger that was off again, is now on again Maybe. And we will dip, as always, into our favourite, the very, very full, as always, Motley Fool mailbag. Let's get on with it, mate. Let's do it. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, mate. Let's start with the macro as we are want to do here at Motley Fool Money. Coronavirus. Apparently, it's got an official name now I saw during the week, but it's not really catching on with anybody, so we're also calling it coronavirus, and I think we'll probably do that. We're not... um, it's called it
1: novel coronavirus. Oh,
0: it's NC nineteen or something. NCOV nineteen. That's the one. There you go. So you've been paying attention.
1: Well, uh, I just made it up.
0: Everyone's going to call it coronavirus.
1: says <laughs> coronavirus.
0: Uh, so, mate, look. I guess you know. Look, it's still in the news. There was uh, numbers out. I want to say it was Wednesday night. I think another two hundred forty-two deaths had been recorded in China. Um a huge health issue and as we say every time not to give it lip service but to be genuine you know this is a real health issue with real consequences for people uh, people dying families uh, grieving lots going on there so we don't want to make light on it at all and we don't um, we are though an investing podcast so the question turns to where to from here or more importantly what's going on i am got to say right now I've been vocal in the past at, by saying the market overreacted early on maybe just maybe the market's learned something maybe, I've, maybe they're listening to me is that possible,
1: um, okay. So, I'll take the other side on that, <laughs> way, I think, uh, just because it's fun to take well, the so other
0: side. first things first before you do. The, the, the what I was going to say, at least, is the market doesn't seem worried about coronavirus at the moment. There's, there's there's not there's don't seem to be a lot of market moves on the back of new news out of China, despite things like the extra 242 deaths the other day.
1: Yeah, so here's the thing. I think the market, okay, I'll take the other side of it. I think the market is to some extent underpricing what's going on, largely because, right. I mean, in one day, um. I think it was on Wednesday night or Tuesday night. I think one so, of those yeah, days. Yeah. The number of infections mm-hmm. increased by 15,000 right. in one single day. Right, right. Right? And that's because they've gone, I think, door to door and basically done screening mm-hmm. and they've found 15,000 new cases. Right, okay. That tells me a couple of different things. I think either market is under... and you know, anticipating what's going to happen mm-hmm. because um, previously the claim was that this thing is going to be over by March end or something like that. And usually, you know, like basically the coronavirus is, you know, at a very high level, another type of flu, mm. right? And the flu typically, you know, you know, we're in Australia, so we're in the Southern Hemisphere. We forget that the Northern Hemisphere is actually in winter.
0: Yeah, right, right. right? right.
1: And as winter sort of subsides, flu basically is done.
0: Right? Okay, yeah, yeah, that's right.
1: So, so the theory there is that, you know, as temperatures increase around April or so, things should get back to normal. Okay. However, if the rate of cases are underreported, mm-hmm. then we don't know, A, how much more has it spread in China. Right. China is manufacturing hub of the world.
2: Mm-hmm. China
1: is also an important trading partner for several nations, including Australia.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And two... The flow-on effects of that is a, you know, so there's consumption of goods that is affected. There's mm. also production of goods that is affected. There's also um, other things uh, that are affected, such as you know consumption of resources, um, you know, tourism and right, so on right. for countries. Factors that are closed down for a while. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. So few China,
0: fewer Chinese people. If I was wine. to
1: take a bet, I would say that actually this thing is going to drag on mm. for much longer than I think people are anticipating, mm. and the markets are, uh, to some extent. Um, not really accounted for that. Now, I think th- I think there's a dichotomy here. What I have noticed is some tech companies are actually doing really well. Okay. Consumer discretionary companies are kind of jumping around. Yep. And that sort of makes that's sense yeah, at a very sound. high level, largely because, and I'm making this distinction, because a lot of tech companies, if you think about software companies, mm. they have zero business in China. Right. Right. Now, there are flow on effects, but if it stays contained to China, those businesses are actually not affected because mm. they neither produce anything there, neither consume anything there, so it's okay.
0: Right. The worst the worst the worst version of the future for them is that just economic growth broadly slows, slows. and they're hit with some sort of confidence issue, right? Where right. people just say, Well, let's not go and do that new thing. Because maybe the economy is going for a rough patch.
1: Exactly, but okay. if you're, you know, if you have a sticky software, you're likely to use it. If right. in fact, if you're looking to cut costs, there's a converse theory. here. If you're looking to cut costs, probably you actually want to want to automate more things, mm-hmm. right? So I think those businesses have become the go-to defense stock in that sense. <laughs> Whereas I think consumer discretionary stocks—I mean—they're guaranteed to be hit. Yep. Like I mean, whether or not we agree, but they're guaranteed to be hit now in the short yeah. term, yeah. Yeah. right? Uh, and the question then in my mind is, when something gets hit in the short term, how much is the correction? Right. Right. Now, I'm not saying anything about the long term, but the market we know loves the short term and makes short term corrections. So, what I am saying right now is the market is actually not corrected enough for the short term. Uh, that's my thesis. Uh, now,
0: I actually think you're kind of right, but I guess my broader point is that if the market was rational, uh, as opposed to where in the. So, you're right. That Generally, what happens with these sorts of un, unexpected shocks is the market does react meaningfully on the downside because it just freaks out, right, about the news. I would argue that that is the pro- that is wrong in the first place because the long term earnings power of those businesses hasn't necessarily changed, right? If you unless you're going to go broke in the meantime, if you look out to twenty twenty three, just to pick a year, this is all blown over, and unless your unless your business is structurally damaged permanently by the coronavirus outbreak we get back to normal. And if we're long-term investors looking forward, we're buying future earnings. So I, I personally would be saying, I really don't actually care what happens to earnings in this half. What I care about for company X, and doesn't really matter which one it is, um, is that in 2023, if it's back earning the same level of profit, that I should be paying a multiple of that future profit, not worrying about the short term. In other words, any short-term passing issues should be ones the market should look through anyway because it just doesn't matter for the overall earnings power of these businesses. I think that's what I'd say. There shouldn't be a big drop exactly for that reason, not because the short-term won't be problematic earnings-wise, just because it shouldn't matter to most investors most of the time because the long-term earnings power is what we should be focused on.
1: That's all true, except that the market is not rational.
0: Right, but that, that's and that's what, kind of, that's what we're arguing about, right? Is To some degree, you're saying, well, the market hasn't done what the market normally does. Yeah. I guess I'm saying that's a good thing in that case because at least hope maybe maybe the market's finally seen some sense.
1: That, that's not a good thing. At all, in my oh, opinion. No. Because if the market is becoming irrational, it just makes us, uh, my job as an investor really hard. <laughs> I like the market being irrational.
0: So you, just uh, want, you want the market to fall so you can buy some stuff cheaper? Is that what well, you're telling
1: me? Well, that's exactly what I like. I mean, <laughs> here's the thing, right? If stuff falls, and stuff becomes cheaper. If you're a net buyer of stocks, then that's awesome. Uh, I, I know this This kind of sounds very counterintuitive, but I mean, if <laughs> stuff if stuff falls because it falls irrationally, mm. then, you know, well, that's great. The other thing I'll say, though, is like if you think about <laughs> companies and you're thinking about their earnings and you're thinking about them being discounted cash flows into the future, mm-hmm. well, it does matter how much the earnings of the year one actually is, right? Sure. Because, I mean, that has a higher weight than anything else in the future, right? Sure. So, sure. of course, in 2023, 2025, the earnings might be great. That has a much lower weight depending upon what discount rates. I mean, the other fact could be the market is just assigning permanently a very low discount rate, so therefore right. it doesn't really matter whether the earnings are in the future or in the present. Right. You, you know, it's all kind of like, you know, heebie-jeebie in that sense, right? But if that's the case, you know, still, I, I think, I think some of some businesses are going to have pain mm-hmm. uh you know travel consumer discretionary businesses I think are are likely to see pain and mm-hmm. I think what I think the market is probably not realizing is there's there's current pain and then there's some flow on pain so this is like not really a short-term thing. If this thing doesn't finish until like April, May, Mm. you know, we've got half a year of pain yeah, and then maybe another half a year of sort of recovery pain before things get to normal. I'd expect some discount for that. Like, I mean, as an investor, I'd like to get some discount for that. But if I don't get it, Mm. I'll just stay away from that stock.
0: But you're also going to buy the discount because you know the price is going to go back to some more reasonable level, right? So at some level you're saying, I think the stock is being priced less than what it's actually worth. That's why I'm going to go shopping because I'm getting the discount.
1: Yeah, like I would like to get the discount. I just don't think that some of them are, are discounted appropriately at this moment. I mean, yeah. that's just that's but just my theory.
0: Let, 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 let's tangent from that nicely because you, you mentioned being a net buyer and, and I love the fact... Mate, I'm always happy when you quote Warren Buffett is basically what I'm saying. Um, because to your point, your exact point, Buffett has said many, many times that long-term investors... And look, for, for most listeners here, uh, most listeners are probably already investing and probably already know this. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Maybe they've forgotten it. Maybe some are, uh, frankly... Um, new to investing. So, what I wanted to, to to just very quickly um, just hone in on is that idea of being a net buyer, right? The market, the news media, frankly, a lot of the financial media will say the market's down. That's terrible. Now, if you're a retiree, if you're going to retire tomorrow, sell everything and buy a boat, then shares dropping today is a really really crappy thing, right? Because you can buy less boat with your dollars. For everybody else, either if you, are, by the way, including retirees who are simply going to allow their portfolios to compound over time and reinvest some of those dividends. If you're a net buyer, in other words, if you're planning to buy more than you're going to sell over any extended period of time, you actually should like the fact that share prices fall. Even though it's painful for our current portfolio, so you and I, if the market drops 10%, we're worth 10% less, and that's kind of painful. But it gives us the opportunity to buy shares that we're going to hold hopefully for 10, 20, 30 years or at least capital we're going to compound in the same or different shares for that period of time to actually get shares cheaper. Right. And so that that idea of being a net buyer and then wanting stocks to be lower as a result, that's kind of really, really important.
1: Yeah, I, I think that, that that's true. I mean, on the other hand, I'll just caveat by saying, like, you know, somebody wants to be buying bought or is retired. I mean, they should really, in theory, have some amount of money available in cash or cash-like asset that yeah. is de-risked from sort of the market volatility, right? Correct, correct. And if that happens, then actually, you know, if you have cash to buy stuff maybe you can actually buy things instead of Mm -hmm. being worried about you know um, that your wealth has become less I mean the wealth effect is real Um, I hate it when my account looks down (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah You feel a little silent joy for the paper gains, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, those things are very real, but you kind of got to work that out. Mm. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you quoted Buffett. I mean, you know, Buff- Buffett has good quotes. I just think Buffett investing is dead, but that's a different conversation altogether.
0: Yeah, no, that's very different. Very we'll, different we'll, have, we'll, we'll have
1: yeah. that another um, but, but, you know, maybe that's for another day. Probably another uh, day. Yeah, but I, you know that, that. Yeah, so I think that that quote is correct. You know, long, you're a long-term buyer. You want to buy things when you can. Yeah, um, at a discount.
0: Yeah. yeah, exactly. We 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 should want to have cheap assets to buy, particularly if they're a short-term discount. We should actually love that. Like, if you know something's worth 100 bucks, and you get an opportunity every few years to buy it for 70 then you should, want it. you should want that discount. Even though even though the stuff you've got in the back shed is now worth less in theory compared to the current market price. Mm. If you can go and buy some more of whatever it is, Buffett's trucked hamburgers in the past, petrol in the past. Um, you actually want the price to be lower. I think there's a quote something like, you know, being unhappy about share prices falling is like being unhappy about petrol prices falling because you've already got a tank of gas. It's mm. w- that effect, right? We call it petrol, of course. But that idea of, you know, if, if you said, wow, te- petrol's gone down, that's terrible. I've already bought a tank, got a full tank of petrol. Terrible, the price has gone down. You kind of go, yeah, okay, but you're going to fill up that tank a couple of yeah, maybe once a week, once a fortnight for the rest of your life. Mm. The fact that your current petrol, you know, you paid a little bit too much for it, or, or maybe just simply it's worth less now, should be much, much less relevant. The fact you're going to buy a whole lot more for a whole lot cheaper in future
1: people are not going to be filling their tanks in the next 30 years so that problem i think (laughs) i've solved for buffett
0: i can't believe i went there and
1: uh about burgers i don't know maybe there'll be like (laughs) fake burgers everywhere so i I think buffett is in trouble real trouble
0: how did i manage to get me into that one
1: well you just you just you just pulled it yourself i didn't do anything
2: can we move on yeah, sure. Please, thank you. All right. <laughs> Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All
0: right, mate. From from Buffett and electric slash petrol cars to earning season. There's no easy segue for that, so I'm just going to go with that. Um, mate, t- talk to me about some of what's happened this week. So the, let's go through the big names first. I, I imagine you might have a view on this. I, I'm, I'm speculating you might possibly have a view i have we, a view on everything <laughs> we saw so commonwealth bank now the, the the so there's two two things i want to contrast here the headline on 9 news this week was commonwealth bank smashes expectations with a 4.48 billion dollar six month profit now two things there the first is smashes expectations good thing mm-hmm. second 4.48 billion dollar six month profit also a good thing you read down the second paragraph it says But a flat net operating income result, as well as higher expenses, and a 12.5% increase in loan impairments, meant the figure for the six months to December was 4.3% down on last year's $4.7 billion. Now, what isn't said there, because it was put out before the market opened, is shares then went up Mm. on the news. Now, that's not unusual. We've said before, and we'll say probably every earnings season forever, at least until they Mm. kick us off this podcast, that... Earnings season really should be renamed expectation season because it really is about not not how much did the company grow by, but what was the market expecting? And in this case, the market was expecting a worse result. And so if you've already priced that in, mm. if, if the market is forward-looking and saying, well, okay, look, we'll pay a little bit less for the shares because we think it's going to be a terrible result, the, the good result being a good one, at least relative to those expectations, should see the share price rise, which all makes sense. But are they really going to pay 18 times earnings for a bank that's having 5% lower profits?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I have a lot of things to say. I think CBA as an investment in my mind is, is problematic for many, many reasons, right? I mean, mm-hmm. well, first of all, I think you've got to remember that the market that it operates in, right, is a very competitive market. It's a small market. Mm-hmm. It's a heavily debt-loaded market up the wazoo market (laughs) um it's like it's everything that you don't actually want it's not it's 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 in the tail end of potential um loan growth market Mm -hmm. right it's everything that you don't want it's it's this concoction where if something goes wrong Mm. a lot of bad things can happen (laughs) at that point i don't want to be owning cba shares that's number one i think what i think what cba at
0: any price or at the current price
1: Well, at any price, right? Because uh, the reason at any price is there are so many equities to own, right? Why would I own an equity that is so tied to so many risk factors? It Mm. just doesn't make sense. Even Mm. if I want the, I mean, if I want the yield, I buy something else. Um, But in my mind, like I mean, you know, when people are so debt-loaded, disposable income to net debt is so high. Mm. I mean, there's only. I either there is like a drop substantive drop or a flat outcome for several years right, right or right, you right. know and in either of those things look good I mean if it's a flat outcome then 18 times earnings looks silly doesn't it uh, and if it is a drop 18 times 18 times earnings looks downright silly mm, mm. um i mean you know here's a the the cash profits were down what four percent or something mm. operating income was sequentially down or up i think a little bit up uh, expenses were up uh, loan impairments were i think up
0: up twelve and a half percent yes what?
1: i mean those numbers are like they're scary if you think about the way banks mm. operate right banks mm. operate with so much leverage um yeah i mean again on a yeah i just can't justify buying I'd buy CBA at like 12 times, 10 times to 12 times earnings. That, right. in my mind, is an appropriate multiple for a bank like CBA. For the growth it has, irrespective of the quality and the fact that mm-hmm, people think mm-hmm. it's going to be bailed out um, yep. if there is trouble, right? And it probably will be bailed out if there is trouble. But,
0: it's worth know, saying, by the way, being bailed out doesn't mean what most people think it means. Yeah, being ba- bailed out <laughs> keeps the banking business and looks after the depositors. But like the some of the UK banks, Lloyds, Northern yeah. Rock, a couple of others... They were effectively shells. Were effectively wiped out. So the yeah. bank was bailed out. Yes, but if you're an investor and you think that means you're going to be saved. You gotta have a, another quick look.
1: Yeah, they definitely. I agree with that. I was I was gonna say that. You know, sorry, being ba- yeah, <laughs> being bailed out does not mean shareholders are gonna be fine. Being bailed out basically means depositors are gonna be fine, and <laughs> yes, there'll exactly. be a banking operation, right? So <laughs> I'm right. not ever speculating that you know I don't think any of our big banks are gonna disappear. Yeah. That doesn't mean that shareholders' wi- wealth can be you know as as a in the line of credit <laughs> you are way down below. Oh, mate, absolutely. <laughs> everyone, right? Yep, yep. So the very banks very gonna last exist. in line. Yeah, you're last in line. The banks are gonna exist. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I. I I would, at this price, CBA is a sell for me. Mm. Um, you know, I'd run, I'd run up the hill as far <laughs> as I can, as fast as I can, away from CBA, as fast as I
0: can. I'm not as negative about it as you are, mate, but I'm not, I'm not positive at all. I, I have to say, I, I, I think one of the things we need to as investors try and work out, and we don't know the answer to this yet. We might have different views or maybe even the same view on it, but low interest rates for a long period of time does mean that PEs should be higher than they have been in the past. So a... Banks have traded traditionally between 11 and 14 times earnings, generally speaking. There's always exceptions at different ends. But that was when interest rates were, you know, five, 6%, I'm talking about the rates that we're paying, not necessarily just the RBA's charging. At a, at a much lower rate environment where the rate's probably like half what it used to be, there is a case I think across the board for all companies to pay a little bit more just on the basis of the math that goes behind that we won't get into the weeds here because maths on radio is a terrible terrible thing um so there's there's a there's a basis for paying more than we have in the past for every business including the banks just on a on a you know in this case a rising tide lifts all boats kind of basis i do agree with you though in, in terms of the the sheer paying paying 18 times earnings for business that has a declining profits and b there was a tweet from Elise Morgan, who who um, hosts the ABC's The Business program, and and the, the the tweet just says, in her words, "How does CEO Matt Common get Commonwealth Bank's profits growing again?" And then she quotes him saying, "It's going to be difficult." <laughs> and then she says, "And after a big bounce in borrowing, where's the limit?" That's basically what you just said, mate. But even when Matt Coman, CEO, is saying, "Look, I don't know where profit growth comes from. There's 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 some basis for paying a higher multiple of earnings in a low rate environment, but." there's almost no basis for paying 18 times earnings for a flat to declining profit business it, you know it's it's hard to pay a low enough price because if you're paying 18 times earnings this year and profits fall by 5% well guess what that's effectively 19 times next year so you you actually be paying less next year than you're paying this year even if the multiple's justified which I don't think it is but as you say you know that that's that's the risk i just i don't really know other than someone sitting on massive capital gains who simply doesn't feel like they can reinvest the cash at a high enough rate, um, and even then they probably should do it anyway. But I I kind of understand that thinking. I really, really don't understand why you'd be significantly uh, exposed to the banks, in particular Commonwealth, at these kind of prices.
1: Yeah, I, I, well, I'm 99% agree with you. (laughs) Um, I'd still not give it a higher... You know, the problem with giving it a higher multiple is... Uh, I think we have to make the assumption that mm. the rates are going to be fundamentally low right. for a very long time, right? right? Um, in, in that case, you know, like, I mean, a bank like this uh, probably trades in various other markets at around 12 times P. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we, uh, you know, I'm not, I know comparative is, is dangerous or difficult because, yeah. you know, we, are we making the assumption that they are fair? But, you know, the best way to think about these things is, is in book value terms, really not mm. in earnings terms. It's mm. best to think about those in book value terms. And I think a bank should, you know, 1.2 times to point three four times maybe mm. book value is um is probably appropriate i mean at you know at 1.4 i think it's it's more than appropriate for a bank like mm. that mm. i don't know what it is but last when i had checked was pretty high let mm. me have a look just <laughs> to make sure uh that maybe maybe uh, let me see what uh Comsec says about price to book value.
0: Here. While you're doing that, I will, I will, I will only, for the, only for the sake of balance, I, again, we don't strongly disagree, but I I want to present something as a devil's advocate view. The, the thing I would say about our banks versus the, the other banks is that, frankly, any any consumer knows our banks are obscenely profitable and obscenely um, dominant in their market. And I think this, last time I checked, mate, there was like 2,000 US banks, something ridiculous like that. Um, that's great for competition for Americans and it's great for, um, it's great for keeping prices down. I will say to some degree that the old four pillars policy that's been government policy for, man, I wanna say 25 plus years now. Uh, I think it might've been Keating as treasurer who who kind of put the, um, gave it that, that phrase or at least was in charge when that phrase was was, was uh, given to the banks. To some degree being protected from competition and being able to run as a relatively cozy oligopoly. I th- there's, there's an argument I think in any other industry, again, if we put banks aside now and our views on banks generally, if you had four reasonably cozy, it'd be like the airlines in the US, right? At some point when there's few enough of them, funnily enough, margins start to go up and that that is worth something more than in a truly competitive
2: marketplace.
1: I'll just say price to tangible book value is 2.5x. Ouch. That's a lot. That's a lot. Let's move on. I'll just sell it.
2: <laughs> real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Speaking of stocks you
0: love, should we move to Telstra. Oh, I love that. Let's do that. <laughs> now let's let's do what. Uh, now unfortunately, it wasn't such a such a great headline this time uh, for Telstra. Uh, the headline was pretty straightforward. Telstra first half profit dropped seven point six percent as NBN headwinds take a three hundred and sixty million dollar toll. Now, in this case, a little bit like Commonwealth Bank. That drop was big, but it was also in line with the guidance and expectations, as the New Daily says, with the cost of the NBN rollout, again, weighing significantly on the Telco's balance sheet, as they say. So, it, it, revenue down 3-ish percent from memory. Um, the dividends being maintained, the shares were, I'm pretty sure, up when this was announced, was it yesterday? Um, so, the market kind of was happy enough that Telstra was doing what it said it was going to do. It's, again, based on expectations. It delivered on what it said. The future looks about as what you know the way people expected it. It's a pretty pedestrian-ish result, at least relative to expectations, but are not a great result in absolute terms.
1: Yeah. So I mean, well, so as I said on our on our um, on our online discussions yesterday, I looked at the earnings release to to the market that they put out or the commentary that they put out, the five pager or seven pager, mm. and in the first five lines, there were three decreases or decrease that I could spot. <laughs> uh, that is usually a bad sign mm-hmm. in my in my view. Now, I will say one thing. Telstra though like on a on, on just on an earnings basis and I guess mm. there's some question marks I think about on, on, on the business right now um, which actually ironically might actually work out in their favor um, but it actually looks decently priced mm. right you're paying what 12 times something yeah. uh, 12 times earnings or 13 times earnings for this business you know it's probably close to what I would say is fair value for this business so I mean I'm not as anti owning Telstra at this price
0: what? Aren't you surprised?
2: I'm, I'm very surprised. surprised. I've
0: well, fallen well, off my like, virtual I, I chair mean, here, I mean, mate. Should
1: I should I uh, <laughs> own um, you know CBA at eighteen or nineteen or whatever you know ridiculous uh, price earnings <laughs> it is on versus Telstra? I, I'll, I'll add one more thing to Telstra. I think Telstra has you know has been suffering from uh, the NBN pain, <laughs> like any other. Um, many of our telcos have been. <laughs> um, the hope here might be that as five G starts rolling out. Mm. Maybe they will actually be able to ease off the NBN pin by offering 5G for broadband, <laughs> right? And if that happens, maybe the margins actually can go up.
0: I've got that's that's the thing that really gets me. Look, right, so I'm a Telstra shareholder, it's a recommendation of ours. I so put both those on the table very early. Um, it's an old recommendation, I I think it's a hold for us at ShareVisor, if I remember rightly. Um, it's 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 just it's underwhelmed, right? And that, that's that's very clear. I had expected, I think I've, I've done this me a couple before, uh, I had expected the mobile margins to grow more quickly and overwhelm the declining fixed line margins more quickly than they did. Um, the numbers were very clear. The numbers have kind of rolled out exactly as you'd expect, except uh, in terms of the the mix between fixed and mobile and, and the different margins there, we knew that the m- mobile margin are about half of the fixed line margins, and that's always going to hurt, right? When you take a dollar of fixed line away and you put in a dollar of mobile, you might just still fall by half, and that—that's been their biggest, biggest issue. I—I'm—I'm no—I'm no tech guru, as a list as well and truly know, mate. But I've got to figure, as you kind of point out, the the, the real jewel in the crown here is its five G network—the breadth, the size, the coverage area, the the speed. I mean, I don't think anyone—and maybe it's not even true—but I think everyone would agree, maybe with tiny exceptions, Telstra has the best mobile network out there, or is at least perceived to have the best mobile network, and that is marketing gold for the company. In an NBN world, once five G is kind of up and running, these five G kind of Wi Fi hotspot things that people are going to you know potentially have in their homes, rather than the NBN, this might be one of those kind of you know temporary slowdowns for Telstra that takes off again if and when five G can be used at, at at large scale and at large speed.
1: Yeah, so I mean, the, the you know, the the, and the 5G is going to be a small cell network, right? So, I mean, they're going to have many, many small cells. And theoretically, you can get very high download and upload speeds with it, right? Right, right. Now, if you can get somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 megabits per second, like I have got NBN, and, and basically I had to downgrade to tier two because I can't get tier one because the last mile <laughs>
0: yeah, basically
1: right. is ridiculously slow.
0: And 5G beats copper, generally speaking, right? Uh,
1: 5G is totally going to beat that because I can right. get like 40 megabits per second max right, right. right in the shared network and mm-hmm. i potentially could get 150 plus yeah. uh, megabits per second on a 5g actually theoretically you can get much higher right so I, you know i'm i'm sure that in given in this age where we have you know multiple um you know devices streaming videos at the same time mm-hmm. and you want to watch 4k and you know high def and whatnot and you want to play these multiplayer games mm. download and upload bandwidth matter right now um, I think in many pockets NBN does not actually nBN services don't you know deliver that
2: yeah
1: yeah and if they don't deliver that I think and you know so I think there's an opportunity in a market opportunity for companies that deliver and, and and the other interesting thing is that you know TPG for example does not have 5g plants yet or the mm. you know the combination mm, mm, maybe has 5g plants yep. but I mean yep. Telstra has a, a advantageous position here to be the first one to roll out a right. big nationwide you know, and then they could actually use that as a bundling strategy, offer the five G mm. network at home, and five G uh, mobile, right? Uh, and that could be a winning strategy. You know, so I, I mean, I'm actually not at this price. Mm. I'm actually quite okay with Telstra.
0: I'm, so I, I'm unbelievable. You did not surprised. know that, did you? I'm, I'm speechless, right? And for a podcast, it's not a good thing. Maybe we should just move on. Let's move on.
2: Value stocks. Markets. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, I reckon this
0: week is just my week to look like a deal, frankly, and feel pretty pretty stupid because not only do I own Telstra, although that hasn't done badly this week, but I also happen to own Blackmore's shares. And let's just say it wasn't a pretty, it wasn't a pretty set of results. The company was characteristically and, and frankly, pleasingly, but also disappointingly in the case of the data itself, <laughs> came in and said, look, this is unacceptable. We know it's unacceptable. It's a terrible result. We, we know we're sorry. And I'll you know, i I'll give them some marks for at least doing that. Um, and to some degree, there's a new t- new management team in place. Uh, but literally saying, look, you know, we screwed up. We got it wrong. We, we made a mistake. We're sorry we're fixing It's about, well, it's the least you can expect, except that, uh, in a lot of companies, they would try to obfuscate and hide and dissemble and try and you know point to everything else except for what's going on. Maybe though, to be fair or <laughs> well, unfair, in Blackmore's case, there wasn't much else to point to. <laughs> they blamed production production issues. They blamed coronavirus. They blamed their product mix. They blamed their pricing, and they blamed their promotions. Now, I'm not sure what else is left. <laughs> um, as a shareholder, I, I love the brand. I used to work there many years ago for for the, again for the record and full disclosure. Um, but I, it just—it's it, a—it's a slightly bizarre, it, it, phenomenal in a terrible way, set of results where they actually may make a loss in the second half. How so bad that things become?
1: Oh, you want me to comment on that?
0: <laughs> I, think, I think I think I should at least let you have the
2: opportunity. Um, to.
1: Well, you know, I have I have multiple thoughts on this. So, I mean, I don't mind Blackmore as the company, but I think there are a couple of things going on here. One is, I think the market. Was now with the benefit full benefit of hindsight, I guess, which I'm going to uh, upfront own. I think the issue with Blackmores is the question how much of a brand premium should we be paying for something like Blackmores? I think that's in my mind, that's number one question. Mm. It is it's a brand, like it's like basically saying Ford has a brand, mm-hmm. but is, is it a brand worth a premium? I think that's number one question in my mind. So mm. I, I absolutely get it that there's a lot of opportunity in. Uh, in sort of the in the asian continent for a, a company like blackmores yep. um, a large population we are nearby there's demand but i mean it's it's in some sense uh, vitamins are a commodity right anybody can produce a vitamin anybody mm-hmm. can put a sticker on it and sell it it's very hard in my view to um to create substantive brand premium for that that's at least what what i'm thinking so i think there's there's two aspects here one is that you know the market was treating um for the lack of a better comparison, maybe was treating Blackmores like Louis Vuitton. Like, you know, it's mm. I would not treat I mean, you know, Louis Vuitton basically sells the same, you know well, I'm sure again this Louis Vuitton might come after me so I'll caveat that <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know so it's basically you know you can you can buy this leather bag from someone that looks kind of like Louis Vuitton but it's not as polished as Louis Vuitton mm. and you can buy the Louis Vuitton thing for 2000 bucks I mean that is I think brand premium right. right I don't think you can have brand premium like of that scale or magnitude mm-hmm. with vitamins mm-hmm. so I think the market still in my view does not I think has not probably adjusted for that. Um, there's too much of a brand premium for stuff that's not really at, at a brand premium. Mm. Number two, I think this. I think this is fascinating in my view. If a company comes out and predicts the next half, I'm going to actually make no money. Mm. I'm probably going to dip into loss. Actually, the shares did not fall. Which, in my mind, basically the market is saying you have a brand premium to some extent and mm-hmm. that your earnings are going to recover.
0: So, Well, uh, shares did fall 13%, but as you say, on, on the back of a profit fall of 48%, that was a pretty generous fall. <laughs> you could also argue, uh, unfortunately for, for me, who owns shares at a higher price, to some degree the market already factored in some disappointing news as well.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, the market has has, has bumped down the shares for a while, but yep. I mean, again, I'll go back to, like I mean, you know, this thing is selling on a price-to-earnings ratio of, what, 25 trailing, or thirty trailing, something like twenty-five trailing, right? Mm. I mean, is it really worth twenty-five trailing? I mean, that's the. I mean, maybe in a low PE, or low um, interest rate world. I mean, th- those are the right, questions right. in my mind. Um, yeah, and, and, and I think again. There's some questionable decisions about you know the manufacturing stuff that they're doing. I mean, you know, why do you really need to own the... If you're doing vitamin manufacturing, why do you really need to own the supply chain? Mate, you I've, really don't I, need to own I have the supply chain. I've said
0: before in many different locations, I that there's one of the worst decisions they've made as a business. Yeah. They don't need to own the supply chain. You're taking a whole lot of capital costs, a capital-heavy business. They used to buy someone else's product, bottle it and send it out again. Super capital, light, lots of great cash flow. I get supply chain control, I get production, control, you want to make sure you can supply. I kind of get all that stuff. I got to say, it it just strikes me as the most bizarre thing. It's
1: vitamins. I mean, how hard is it to acquire supply, right? Right. I mean, so some of those decisions.
0: So to be fair, there have been in the past raw ingredient shortages that black ones have struggled with back as long as when I was back there, a decade or so ago. Um, So it does happen from time to time because the global demand does outstrip global supply sometimes. So I understand the rationale. I understand the, the thinking behind why you would look at it. I just can't see how that is better than not owning it, and frankly, dealing with the supply issues.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's there's some questionable decisions there, and and you know, this was made. Again, it's it's easy to say those, yeah, those decisions yeah. are questionable because they're now uh, you know um, the contributing reasons for a loss. Right? Oh, no,
0: I'm pretty sure I'm on record of saying it was a terrible thing at the time. Well, <laughs> but, but and but I'm, just, I'm just caveating that. By yeah, saying no, that,
1: anyways, you It's nice for me to say, well, yeah. you, know, you we, did that, right? We,
0: we might not have mentioned it if they'd if they done well. With well, them, right? exactly, right? Yeah, you did not have yeah. talked about
1: it. So I'm, I'm just being very clear about no, that. Fair, I mean, that's, fair. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I think that, you know, I actually this was the most surprising reaction I thought this earning season mm. was there's was a lot of bad news mm. and it was like you know throwing in the entire kitchen sink at like you know okay all the bad news are gonna get out at one go. Yeah and then the shares did not respond. So I mean you know I'm just taking the other side. I'm saying that there's a there's a fair bit of premium baked into it. Yeah. And um, you know I'm not personally sure whether that premium is worthwhile. I mean, you know, is this there is there growth is there growth to justify the premium. I would not pay a brand premium for it. I would mm. pay a growth premium for it. So if they deliver me growth, I would pay the premium. But if they don't pay me the growth. Um, I would question the premium.
0: Yeah, uh, for what it's worth, and as a holder, and just I, I probably partly argue my own uh, wallet here, but also also to, to be devil's advocate a little bit, there. I think it's reasonable to say that Blackmores, over a very long period of time, has demonstrated does have a brand premium. Now, how big that is and what it's worth is an open question. Um, they've been able to sell higher priced vitamins for. Well, I mean, the company around for 80 years, but particularly in the last say 20 or 30 years, they've been the number one vitamin brand in Australia for. Most of that time, certainly recently, um, so there is there is some you know consumers are prepared to pay more for Blackmores. That's absolutely happening, um, and and remains the case. So there is some there is some brand benefit, brand value there. Is it worth some of the price you're talking about? I guess that's the open question, right? But I think I think the, the the marketplace experience would say that people are prepared to pay more for Blackmores vitamins because they have whatever we want to call brand, whether that's trust, whether that's recognition, whether that's scale, whether that's promotional activity, whatever those things are. There is. There has been for a couple of decades, at least. Uh, you know, black moss has been able to command a price premium.
1: Yeah, no, I don't dis- disagree with that. All, I, I was, all, all the point I was trying to make, basically, is that okay. I'll take Louis Vuitton stock at, oh, all. The, yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Um, uh, at At one end, right? Course, and I'll pay course. a brand premium. Like, I mean, I get the Louis Vuitton brand premium, why people are paying for it, right? Yeah. People yeah. line up for buying those bags, <laughs> right? Uh, and maybe you could make the argument that, you know, the the stuff disappears from the shelves um, mm. uh, for Blackmore's as well, and maybe that's worth the brand premium. But, you know, it's, it. To, in my mind, in, in if I draw the parallel, mm. I think, It's what everything is a brand. Even Ford is a brand. Sure, sure, sure. Louis Vuitton is a brand. But I'm I'm just thinking of the brand premium, the level to which people are paying for the brand premium. Maybe it's not appropriate. Um, The other thing, you know, which is I think we tend to pay a brand premium ahead of time. It's all easy to say in hindsight. Again, I love I love stuff in hindsight.
0: <laughs> uh, so, so much easier uh, to be right, isn't it? It's so so it's just <laughs> you know it's easy to
1: theorize in in hindsight. Um, again, I'm just making that very clear for for listeners because you know it's easy to say say yeah. things in retrospect yeah. of a result. Yeah. But the, the other thing to re- I, I was thinking is, it is still an open question in my mind. Whether or not the, the brand premium that is said in Australia does it actually translate to Asia, right? right? And if it does translate to Asia, then absolutely, because what happened actually, then you should be paying a lot more for that brand premium mm-hmm. because that market is substantially bigger. Right. It I think it has yet to prove maybe whether that is true. But if it proves that. I think then the brand premium becomes higher because you you just go into a larger growth market, you know, a growing market and things like that. So I mean, you know, there's some there's some interesting questions there. Mm, Investing is hard. (laughs) This is all I can
0: say. I think it's a very very good summary. Should we go to some of the um, small stuff you like? Yeah, we can go.
1: My smaller stuff has no brand.
2: Here we go. Get more motley fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M.
0: All right, so we've, we've done a little bit of the big end of town. We've done a bit of the macro. Let's get, I was going to say micro, but mate, these, some of these companies are doing fantastically well. Um, we, haven't got, we haven't got all that much time, but let's spend a little bit of time on Elmo and Megaport. Now, Elmo is not the Sesame Street monster, cute and furry though he is. Elmo, in this case, do you know why they call it Elmo? Is it stand for something? Was it someone's surname? You
1: know, it's basically enhanced learning and something, something. Yeah, right, <laughs> there's right, a right. reason why it's actually called Elmo. I actually keep forgetting it. Was it was it name before were, the
0: Sesame Street character after? Because I got to say, I just remember that. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't help me. All right, so so Elmo, it's an HR software company. Yeah, little Australian mob. Um, doing really, really well. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so uh, just to quickly say what they do. So they basically provide HR software for basically doing, you know, leaves, recruitment, you know, basically all the usual HR stuff plus right. payroll. So it's basically a comprehensive suite of solutions that is small, well, what they call the small, you know, the mid market right? and 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 the small market. So basically SMB style market enterprises are okay. the ones yep. which they are targeting, right? Um and uh, they provide the solution, a cloud-based solution entirely. So they're doing really well. Um, you know, their uh, revenue was up um, some 41% mm-hmm. um, over the half. There's a, it's an acquisitive company, but uh, organic growth was about 32%. Uh, I think that the, the thing, though, that's interesting is that, you know, what I like to see is this, this is a sticky software business, so basically you sign up for, say, a three-year term, you pay maybe quarterly or yearly or half-yearly in advance, so mm. you know, actually what your cash flow is going to be, and um, you know, so that's that's the, that's the recurring revenue, or the how much of the revenue you think is going to recur, and that recurring revenue is, is growing at, at, at a decent clip of about 40%, 43, 44%, wow, okay. right? Um, so half-year, you know, the recurring revenue stood at 52 million, if you just annualize that, this is a a hundred million dollar recurring revenue run mm, rate mm. Um, actually I should not analyze that because and, and let me take it out. if it's 52 million annual recurring revenue then it's 52 million and then growing right. at some per, 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 because it's an annual rate Okay,
0: I'll take yeah. that back um, <laughs> don't uh, double it too quickly
1: <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so this w- is
0: important, so annual run rate is important right because what yeah. it's basically saying is we have, so rather it, they're kind of bringing forward some of the not bringing forward in an accounting sense but they're trying to let the market know what to expect moving forward. What they're saying is we've signed up customers who have agreed to pay us in total 52 million bucks a year, even though we haven't got all that money just yet because we signed up someone yesterday, they've signed up for a year, and so on a yearly basis, this is how much this customer's worth. They're trying to give us a sense of what the kind of business as usual is for these new customers.
1: Yeah, and there are a couple of things that I really like about this style of business, right? One is the sort of the guarantee to some extent of no revenues guarantee and you could say that you know Woolies is also recurring because everybody's got to go to groceries right but
0: yeah, um, yeah right. well I, uh, I think that's a reasonable uh, question but not what you're trying to say yeah
1: but but <laughs> I mean what I really what I so you know the way this company works is they've got a bunch of modules so mm-hmm. modules are things like you can I've got a uh, hiring module I've got a payroll module I've got a you know retention module I've got some learning modules right mm-hmm. um, They've got 13 modules Mm. and typically people maybe have two or three or four, and the average is like two point something yep. right now. New people are signing up with a much higher m- number of modules. They're signing up with three plus modules on oh, average, right. right? So that's okay. very interesting. That is. But what is interesting is that over time, you have the potential to upsell to the same mob, right. that your same mob being the clients or customers, additional modules.
0: So is it, I, this is what I find this interesting in the sense that we've got to be a little bit careful with growth rates, right? Like if Elmo was to sign up one module now, one module next year, one module the year after, we think great growth company. If they sign three modules now, which there's less growth because there's still three modules next year. Is there? Is there? A, how do you think about that in terms of, you know, the more they sign up now, the less growth they've got kind of by definition, but the more cash they get today. Yeah. Well, how, do you, how do you kind of square that circle? Well,
1: so I mean, the way I look at it is that they've got three modules right now. Uh, let's say on average, let's say new people are coming in and signing three, but mm. there's 13. So there's a lot of upside still there. Right, you can double, you can quadruple actually. Okay. Um, uh, total number of models theoretically can go to 12, 13, right? Sp- oh,
0: okay, okay, okay. So still plenty of growth left.
1: In, and then in terms of the total market opportunity, like I mean the company says it's like something like $2 billion annual mm. plus, mm. right? They made a small acquisition recently that expands the opportunity into UK. Now now the company was very, very cautious in the comments they made in the conference call in terms of saying, oh, you know, okay, we don't know. We just did this and it's, you know, it's time, but. Right. That, it's a small acquisition that is a small step into UK UK market is three times the size of our market <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. so I, I'm, I'll watch that and I like the way they're going about it it's going about small okay. so yeah I think those those things are interesting um, the customers paying up more next year than this year. That's interesting because yep. they're signing up more like modules. <laughs> so yeah, I think yeah. it's... kind
0: of built-in built in revenue growth, right? Which yeah, is kind built, of nice.
1: Built-in revenue growth. Uh, no nice, guarantees,
0: but, but a reasonably high likelihood.
1: Yeah, nice growth, small little growth company.
0: Sorry. I'm going to assume it's a buy for you.
1: Yeah, we love it. Uh, it's a buy. <laughs>
0: yeah. Very good. Mate, I, this is one of the companies I, th- I, I, don't, I don't claim as, as our listeners very well know to be a tech expert. Uh, that's why you're here because... You, I make you look good. Um, the the uh, thank you. Well, well, it's not hard, mate, compared to me. But you are you are generally a smart bloke and a, and a computer science PhD, no less. So um, you don't need me to, to demonstrate your smartness, mate. Um, Mega port. So I love this idea. It's kind of fractionalizing data access in a way that. Well, this is how, this is how I think about it. You'll, you'll describe it properly in a minute. But what I love about it is it's kind of Uberizing to some degree. Um, data transmission the 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 pipes that we send our data along the ability to kind of have data think about aws again in a different way amazon web services the ability to use cloud computing this is kind of like cloud (laughs) cloud cloud in some ways right it's 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 cloud data flow data access Um, and i just love that someone's come along and basically hey we got this pipe and the whole pipe costs 100 bucks you either pay the pipe or you don't and that was kind of the old days and, and only a few companies really needed the whole pipe at any one point in time. These days, they can say to a dozen companies, "Hey, pay us all ten bucks, twenty bucks each to get access when you need it." Knowing for all, well, by the way, if you multiply twelve customers by twenty, you get two hundred forty bucks. You can effectively resell that same—not the same access, but the same type of access—the same way Amazon Web Services does, for a much, much higher price. I, I'm really, really impressed by the the smarts behind it, by the the, the fact it's possible, and the fact someone's doing it. So. That being said, I don't understand the company well enough to, to know what the what the long term looks like. Although I you do know you like it, so tell our firstly where I'm wrong about the description, and what what I what I explain badly, and then kind of give us a sense of what you liked about the most recent result.
1: Yeah, I think you uh, you actually did a fantastic description of the company. Like, I mean, if you think about say like an airport, let's like say think about the Gold Coast Airport, right? It has a certain amount of bandwidth demand because people are sitting in sitting there and. At certain points in time, there's more traffic in Gold Coast Airport. Yeah, yeah right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you need yeah, more bandwidth. Yeah. Then at night, when nobody's there, you actually don't need the bandwidth. Right. Yep. So most of the time, the dem- the way we provision resources is by peak, is what you said. Like, you know, my peak yeah. demand is 100 megabits per second or a gigabit per second. I need that.
0: But you actually—that's how we build roads, right? We say, okay, the roads have got to put a certain number of cars down during peak hour on a Monday morning, right? So they've got to be six lanes because we need six lanes worth the traffic, right? At night, there's still six lanes, but no one's using the road.
1: Exactly. So, so, but here, because it's it's a you know because it's data resources, what you're basically saying is, well, you know, some company might, some large multinational might be doing a lot, lot of data transfer at night because mm. they maybe are transferring stuff to America or oh, to the northern hemisphere, cool. right? Okay. So you could actually share the highway <laughs> in that sense, right? Um. You know the information highway yeah. um, by taking care of the fact that somebody's going to use a lot of data at night. Somebody's using a lot of data at the, during the daytime. We can just make sure that each person gets what they want mm. without actually having to pay for the full freight. <laughs> so you only pay for the, the you know you basically pay a toll for the time you are actually really, driving. Really, really cool. This is really cool, and uh, yeah. So this is this company is interesting because you know when we recommended it, it was actually just had tipped over from gross margin losses to gross margin profit that's very dangerous. that's early stage, <laughs> that's too. very early stage right so we- for our
0: listeners gross margin is not including all the sales cost, ministry of costs even the tech or the hardware costs. is literally saying what does it cost to provide the service for the actual just the bits that go into it so i'll, I'll use a very simple example if you're making uh hammers uh, then your, your gross margin is the price you get for the hammers less the cost of the wood and the bit of metal on top and a bit of the factory kind of allocated costs but doesn't include the the factory managers time or the ceo's time or the sales and marketing team or the cost of sending it to the warehouse is literally just the products that's the gross margin is the product cost taken away from the sales price and you're saying up until recently or when you recommended it anyway yeah it was actually costing them more to provide the service than what they were charging for
1: yeah it. and that's because you know they're building all this. so basically this, to do this the, you need to build <laughs> you need some software but you also need to build this interconnection with various data centers and you know oh, cloud yeah. providers yeah, yeah, and yeah. with you know internet network providers right yeah, yeah. so there's a lot of upfront cost to build that network to build these services in and, and it's like a little bit of a chicken and egg story, right? Mm. You need to have the facility to be able to support the demand, right? Yeah. And for to get that demand, you need to actually invest up front, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And therefore, it's going to look like you're making a lot of losses up front. But it's a little bit like a telco. It's in, in in a way, it's a bit like a telco company, right? You need to build the highway before you can actually pay for it. I was you, say, can get, you can charge for it.
0: Yeah, this, uh, so Vocus, for those of our listeners who remember Vocus from maybe eight years ago now or so. I remember we, we recommended it at ShareAvisor. My predecessor, Dean, recommended it for ShareAvisor And it went nowhere for about three years, share price-wise, because making losses. Because as you say, it, that was exactly what it was doing. It was rolling out cable. And all of a sudden, the rollout was done. And they were signing up new customers. And the cost of new customers coming in was almost zero because it was all there. As you say, the cost of the extra car on, on the freeway is nothing. But you get, you know, five seven bucks, whatever the toll is these days, for for the trip. That's almost pure profit, right? Because you've already put the cost in.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I mean, so right now, though, I think the business is scaling. So they, you know, delivered seventy percent growth in, uh, in revenue over wow. the half, half over half. Um, they have expanded operations to Japan. They're in in Europe. They're mm-hmm. in America. Uh, so I think you know, it's still this company has a lot of requires to build scale up but they're they're in a nice spot now and now the question really is not about necessarily about investment in data centers Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the scale the scale now really is about sales and marketing you really need the sales and marketing to to deliver you the clients at a nice healthy clip yeah and and you know so yeah it's still a very you know in my view risky company yeah but you know it's one of those things where you know there's upside and there's downside, you know. We we, we realize that, you know this. You know, it's again the leader in the yeah, space yeah. in in on the ASX. I think there's no other company that does what they're doing.
0: Is that the risk that someone comes along and commoditizes the offering?
1: I, I mean, there's always that risk. I mean, with all of those things, there's always the risk. I think the th- the thing is that you know if you can build enough, if you can if you can get to escape velocity, or we have, have tied up enough clients, and yeah. they, you know, there's they have got enough number of interconnects signed up, and you know you're globally there. E-
0: so, yeah, from, so from, the, from the investment case, for our listeners who are saying, Doc, you, you sound like you're making lots of sense. I love this company already. I just want to kind of balance it out by sharing some of the risks. So is it, yeah. if you're thinking about investment, you're right. I don't mean to say it's it's bad because there are risks. Just to be to be um, to share both the up and downside potential. Yeah.
1: So I think that's that's right. So I mean, the, the thing is, in my view, it's still not reached escape velocity yet. Right. In that sense, right, right. Once it reaches escape velocity, I think this is you know, like I mean, anybody can build in in theory, anybody yeah. can build data centers, but you yeah. know, scale matters, right? Um, so so sort of. In, in this, you know, elastic bandwidth sharing too, scale yeah. matters, right, and that's what they're really doing, building scale, um, so there's always a risk, I mean, but, yeah, I think this is a company that you watch every half or every quarter when they launch their force, so mm-hmm. you see how their tra- what their trajectory is, how many data centers have they signed, how many interconnects have they got, how many new markets have they got, um, and, you know, how many clients are they signing, and I think those are things that you observe, um, definitely. A riskier investment mm-hmm. um yeah
0: but very cool tech right it's yeah. very
1: very cool tech I, I think i love the tech and i think you know the company has done you know again it's you know local australian technology that is is sort of global yep. um you know, w- w- which is which is brilliant i love i love those type of companies which you know to take the tech tech here and expand overseas so that you know it's got a lot of overseas revenues as well so yeah i think risky but but
0: Interesting. And That's a Megaport. MP one is the code, though, if you're following along at home. And Elmo is E L O. Um, the other companies we figure Telstra, CBA, and Blackmore. As you can probably find for yourselves. But Elmo, and, <laughs> excuse me, a Megaport are two that Doc particularly likes. I think that they're, they're really interesting, really exciting little companies with with some risk, uh, but certainly certainly well worth a look. Mm-hmm. Megaport to buy for you guys as well, right? Yep, absolutely. Mate, let's get, this is, I feel like a bit of a, a telco podcast. There's going to be a better word for the telco those days, doesn't there? Like, I know I, know it's, I know Telstra's a telco and I know TPG's a telco and Megaport's kind of in the same space, but should we call them data companies now or something? Because telco, it's not really telecommunications anymore, is it?
1: Well, I mean, um, Telstra is telecommunications,
2: right?
0: That's kind of mostly data, really even I mean, it's, well, it's, a, it's, it's telecommunication only in the sense that, that's what it's morphed from. You know, in the old days, Telstra was known as the Postmaster General's Department because it was it was part of the the post office at one point, and then they were doing communications, and so it kind of felt like it was part of the post. And then it was different. Oh, I mean, it's not a big deal. I'm just I'm wondering at some point whether you know, realistically, if, if I've got I'm going to say 95 percent of Telstra's traffic is now data based, right? Whether it's yeah. whether it's IP tele, telephony or whether it's actual data. At some point, they're almost not telcos anymore.
1: Well, what I, my distinction really is, a telco is a company that provides data transmission services, a data company is a company that takes the data and makes sense out of it oh, so if, if it's yeah, not making sense out point. of data that's a good point um, it's yeah. just carrying other people's data I wish, maybe they and they're call not data supposed data to be looking companies. at that they're not supposed to be looking <laughs> yeah, at that data that's anyways right, that's right. Th- that'll be a breach of my privacy just pushing it through
0: uh, Yeah. so speaking of which mate the reason I, I say this is because we've got another telco data transmission story I'm going to call it um, it won't catch on but I'll try um, TPG and Vodafone we found out yesterday afternoon we we're recording this on Friday morning on Valentine's Day as I mentioned at the top um, they can now speaking of Valentine's Day love is in the air they can maybe finally consummate this pending marriage. The federal court says the ACCC are wrong, Vodafone and TPG are right, and it can go ahead. Unless the ACCC appeals again.
1: Yeah, the ACCC might appeal, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I have mixed feelings about this. I, I actually think the ACCC does a really good job about looking after competition. Yeah. Um, in this case, I'm not really... I. I'm in two minds. I don't know. I think, like, you know, maybe a combined entity is a good thing. Maybe, you know, having a big player, mm. um, you know, three big players is better than having um, one or two big players and a couple of smaller players. Right. So I think that's the advantage. And if, if we are going to be in a 5G world, I think this this marriage actually makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So I, I think… Because effectively
0: see, TPG was a broadband made business. Of Vodafone's a mobile business. Yeah. Putting these two together makes it to some degree, I'll say full service, I don't necessarily mean that in terms of full, one service for everybody, but a full service telco having those bits and pieces that it needs to be competing holistically with the Telstra's and of the world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and Vodafone's backhaul, like fiber backhaul, is provided mm. by TPG in most yeah, cases. Exactly. Right? So that, there's already a relationship there. Yep. Um, and uh, you know, this could actually be very good for consumers in the sense that if they also roll out 5G, then, mm. then we could have a lot of 5G competition. We have yep. In this country, we actually got the fiber backhaul it's the last mile, that's the issue, right? Mm-hmm. And then we've got a lot of fiber backhaul. So, yeah, I, I, I like this idea of thing going on.
0: Very good. I, I'm, I'm in two minds as well, mate. Look, I've got to say, I it's interesting the ideology that goes into this stuff with so the ACCC, the federal court, investors. Because um, you look at it, when the deal was announced, Telstra share price went up, right? And and that is unmistakably the market voting with its wallet and saying this will be good, for Telstra, i.e. bad for competition because four going to three, the, the better of, of the market was, this means less competition. Vodafone, t TPG is a bit of a, you know, they're a real price fighter. They're a bare bones operation. The the CEO, David Teo, there really, you know, known for cost cutting, for, for, for competing hard. Vodafone, part of Vodafone Hutchison Australia kind of started off as this price fighter brand, but then kind of quickly became a bit like Virgin, um, you know, a full service brand that kind of did everything and the prices weren't so keen anymore. The market was betting that this is bad for competition. Rod Sims, the ACCC boss, also saying it's bad for competition. The federal court saying, no, it's fine. There's no substantial listening of competition. We can make these things, these things can merge. I, I kind of with you, look, and the other thing is TPG share price up 10% on the news, you'd expect. Um, I'm kind of with you, I think. I think it's probably a net benefit just, but I also, frankly, having you know as you've already said Rod Sims doing a great job looking after competition to the extent that they are concerned this is a bad deal for consumers I'm I'm kind of almost inclined to just trust them give it a take their word on it um, as I said though the federal court very different view decided it was okay and unless the ACCC appeal which they may because Sims was pretty I don't know what the right word is. He was, he was pretty direct with his words after the case saying that he thinks the court got it wrong so to the extent they think and this will be a legal question, rather than a philosophical question, they won't appeal because they think they're right. They'll appeal if they think they can convince a higher court they're right. That's a, that, that's a different distinction. We we'll, we will see, but it looks like now maybe slightly more likely than not that the two get together.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think so. Uh, again, it, there's a v- very good chance of appeal happening, is what I think.
0: Mate, this has been a fun conversation. We're almost out of time, but we've probably got well. How about this, mate? How about we do a special bonus mailbag episode this Sunday? Sounds you like in? Fun. Yeah, sounds like a good idea. All right, we have a couple of questions we can answer before we finish though. So let's get them on quickly uh, and then we'll have a bonus episode, which is kind of cool. The first one, <laughs> excuse me, is from Twitter, from Melbo. Melbo says, hi, Scott. In your podcast, you were asking about whether anyone had a better rate than 3.3% in brackets, I think. I have 2.84% with Eubank. Also, when I was late returning the forms... I think they panicked and offered to refund the government fee of 300 bucks. So obviously, I took them up on that too. way that is awesome. 2.84%. There you go, fools. When, if you're listening, if you're paying more than 2.84%, it's out there. You bank are offering it. Why don't you do yourself a favor and as we like to say, hashtag get a better rate. As I've said many, many times and I will say many, many more times in the future, the banks don't deserve your charity. They don't need your money more than you do. Don't pay them more than you have to. Go to Bank, go to someone else or call your bank and say, hey, I hear your bank offering 2.84%. What can you do for me? I'd be very, very surprised if most of you can't get a better rate with a single phone call, even if you don't have to change banks. And if you do change banks, you might save even more. So Melbo, thank you for that. Thank you for being part of our Get a Better Rate campaign. Uh, great to see it's working. Great to see you're saving some cash and hopefully our other listeners will be able to follow in your stead. All right, Doc, uh, one more before we finish from Alex. Alex just love the podcast, guys. Would be interested in some updated views on Kogan from Scott and Doc. I know you guys like the company and wonder if the recent sell-off following January results and maybe a little coronavirus panic presents a buying opportunity or has the story actually changed enough to have some caution here? Keep up the great work. Cheers, Alex. Doc. I'm actually as I read this I'm thinking I'm not sure when Cogan are reporting. So and hopefully it's not between now and when the um when, when the when the podcast goes to air or we may have a different answer. But on the assumption that it hasn't, based on what we know right now, on Friday morning the fourteenth of Feb, what are you thinking about Kogan and its recent price falls?
1: Well, I mean, it's, so so maybe the it's a again a, a little bit of an expectation game, right? So I think the mm. the the growth expectation that the market had. Yep. Um probably wasn't what the the quarterly update, I guess, said. Um, and, you know, the market probably sold off the shares. I mean, you mm. know, like with Kogan, I think the thing, is, thing to think about is it is playing in this sort of this secular trend. I hate using that word, but I'll use it anyways. <laughs> um, it's, it's playing in this online... Um, online channel you know movement mm. of sales to on my online channel right so, and i think scale is is a great thing there because you know you have certain fixed costs for doing things the more you sell the more um, yeah, right. verticals you have you know more sticky it becomes to the customers the more customers you get so, i mean those are all fantastic things where, where the scale absolutely helps you so it, to me it appears like they're still in the very early phases of that mm. trend now Absolutely, will there be competition? Yes, there is already competition here, in the form of you know whether it's Amazon Prime or uh, you know there's eBay and there's you know all these other shops that exist online. So, I mean there's competition, but the competition is always there. But I think the net net losers here are going to be mm, the brick and mortar. Mm. Um, so you know it's not that you know the competition is actually eating into Kogan per se. It's more like you know competition basically is making in some sense reinforcing the value of online yeah. and um you know it so i i really i think kogan is a volatile stock so it, takes, it goes up a lot it goes down a lot um I, I like the i like the business i like um the leadership team of kogan i i like what they do i like how they think about the business um, it, there's a lot to like in that business i actually really like the business yeah so i i think it I think it's a, it's an, again, coronavirus, yes, it can have some impact in terms of sourcing. Mm-hmm. As I have uh, already mentioned at the beginning, uh, sourcing can become a problem. And if you can't source, then you can't sell. So yeah, I mean, there is, I guess, reason for caution. But again, on a long-term basis, sort of thing, uh, I, for me, at least, Kogan ticks many, many boxes. So I, I like the business overall. I like what they do. And I like sort of their attitude towards the long-term and uh, i think they have a big opportunity ahead of them
0: gratuitous plug too we had Rosalind kogan speak to us last friday uh, at a motley full platinum event which is our highest tier service um he was he was really really good um didn't give us any inside information of course because he's not allowed to and we wouldn't ever want it um but it was really good to hear him talk about the business the way they think about that operation what they're looking to do um i was i was actually quite a little bit out of school doc and i own kogan shares also had amazon shares i'm about to talk about Amazon. I was really pleasantly surprised to see him speak. So not, uh, not that I expect him not to necessarily, but he spoke really maturely and really supportively and, and glowingly about Amazon itself. You know, I said, look, I'm not sure whether you like the comparison between Koga and Amazon. You know, some people don't like being compared to their competitors, no matter how big. Um, they want to be different. They want to be unusual. They want to kind of, you know, make their own way. And Russell said, no, it's actually a flattering comparison. If you want to compare it to Amazon, they've done such a great job. They're a wonderful business. I actually quite like the comparison. And I have to say, you know, in a, in a world of often brash, Startup CEOs or people who want to be their own person, and you know that there's there's often a bit of resistance to that sort of stuff. I was pleasantly surprised to hear him just be so happy to 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 you know not have to pretend that Kogan was something different and better and all that kind of stuff. He's like, no, these guys are great, and um, it, it just made me feel a lot better about about investing in Ruslan's company. Mate, that's gonna do us for today. I think we're almost there. I've got a little bit of a, a little bit of a tease. If you're if you're thinking about whether you're going to tune in on Sunday. Um, Doc, I don't know if you've seen this question yet. You may have. It's been on our list for a little bit, but um, I found it I found it uh, the other day. Um, there's a question from one of our listeners who says simply, hi, gents. Do you ever get, whoever worry about getting caught up in the hype of company narratives like Berkshire and Tesla and Miss red flags or poor fundamentals? And I'm going to ask you to opine on that on our bonus mailbag episode on Sunday. And so, listeners, if you could see Doc smile right now, I have a feeling this is one episode you're not going to want to miss. What do you reckon, Doc? Uh, I think it's going to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Philz. That wraps us up. Before we leave, though, if you're interested in finding out a little bit more about some of Doc's favorite companies you should join his service, Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities. You can join for a very, very good price and a price just for our podcast listeners. We have a very special order page for those of you who are listening to this particular podcast or any of our podcasts, but certainly uh, this particular one. If you go to fool.com.au forward slash E-O podcast, that's E-O podcast, fool.com.au E-O podcast, you can get a very special price and get the opportunity to join Doc's service for a really, really good first year deal. You can find out more about Elmo, more about Megaport. I didn't ask about them actually as it turns out specifically for that reason. I said to Doc when we were planning this one, let's cover the big ones that everyone talks about and let's cover a couple of small techie ones because we know people want to hear more about what you're excited about. So it just so happens that's the case. Um, That being said, by the way, the price is so cheap for EO. Frankly, it's too cheap as I know Doc has said before. I agree. Um, The good news is as listeners and as potential members, you get the benefit of that because Doc has a very, very substantially, market beating scorecard some great advice some great education and commentary you really want to be part of the extreme opportunities team that's fool.com.au forward slash eo podcast and mate that's it that's it but if you haven't yet please make sure you do subscribe to the triple m motley Full money podcast through itunes or your favorite android podcast app and if you like what we're doing give us a rating five stars would be lovely leave us a review tell your friends who couldn't do with a little more foolishness in their lives and of course don't forget you get a dose of foolishness straight to your inbox by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M triple M that's it for this week's Motley Fool Money we'll be back next week with another dose of foolish insight Fool on
2: Fool on (laughs)